0: Father, how fitting it is to start this weekend with an acknowledgement of our deep need for you. And as I stood in the back of the room and worshiped God, I saw so many women I know and stories that I know and and some needs that I'm aware of, and yet in this room, there are so many needs that I have no idea about, that, that no one else has any idea about, and yet you know. You know exactly what our needs are. You know what our needs are when we don't know what it is that we need. And so for each woman here, I pray the blessing of your, (laughs) you are all powerful, and you are all knowing, and you are all loving. And when you put those things together, God, the fact that you know our needs is astounding. Because not only do you know them, but you can do something about them, and you love us so much that whatever you do is for our good. Thank you. Thank you for knowing us and for drawing us here. Thank you for your personal invitation for every woman who's here. God, I know some of the stories of how the women even got here. Even the one who got a call last minute today because somebody got sick and said, I want someone to take my place, and she made things work to get here. Lord, every woman has a different story for how she came to this place, and yet as we come, we are in awe of your refuge. May this truly be a place of refuge for us this weekend. It's in your name we pray. Amen. One other piece of my heart for the weekend that I just want to set straight up, and, and it might seem really obvious, but to me it has been heavy on my heart for the last week or so. And that is that what we do as Christ followers, what, whether, whether you are attending this retreat or whether you are serving at this retreat, all of it depends on the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you from John chapter 14, starting in verse 16. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says... I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. And I want to remind us that on this weekend, it's not about what songs we sing. It's not about what words I say. It's about what truth does the Holy Spirit lead you into? And quite honestly, as your speaker for the weekend, I am absolutely in a position where I am leaning on Holy Spirit for what truth is he leading me into that I might be able to verbalize to you. And so just to acknowledge from the front that our dependence on the Holy Spirit is as foundational on a weekend like this as it is in our day-to-day life. And perhaps this is a good opportunity to be reminded that when we recognize that When we recognize our dependence on him, we can actually walk in more strength. Doesn't that seem backwards? If I feel like I can do this on my own, then I'm stronger, but I don't think that's true. It's only when we recognize our dependence on the Holy Spirit's work in our life that we can actually walk out in the strength that he gives us when we recognize our weakness. And so from the get-go, I need you to know that's my posture this weekend. I am so aware of my weakness (laughs) and so aware of his strength. And so as we unpack these ideas of belonging, I want to keep coming back to we are dependent on the Holy Spirit, not just for the words I speak, but what's going on with you and God outside of these sessions as he processes with you the things that he's bringing up when we're here together. We need the Holy Spirit. Okay, a little bit about me for those of you who don't know me, and for those of you who do, I'm sorry, you get to hear it again. So uh, I have a picture somewhere of my husband and I. This is um, Jeff and I. This is our 18th anniversary in Nesco Inn, which was last August. And so he and I have been married 18 years. We dated two years before we got married, and we knew each other five years before that. We met when Jeff had just had his 30th birthday, and I was not yet 19. So that kind of gives you why we had to, like, wait a long time before we started dating, because I had to grow up. Great man, great, um, good fit for me. He is, he is what God knew that I needed. He's a farmer out in the, um, we live out towards Silverton, out in Central Howell area. And we, are, our family, are the business, the family behind Willamette Valley Pie Company. If you've ever had any of those pies, that's us. I don't make pies. I don't know how to make a pie. I don't want to know how to make a pie. <laughs> I go to the store and I buy pies just like you should do. Okay. <laughs> They're good, by the way. Um, so, Jeff and I have been married 18 years. We have three kids. This next picture shows our family at a uh, family wedding in July. So, the tallest one in the pink shirt is our son Josiah, who I think was on a slight incline but is taller than his dad. He is 15, is a sophomore at Silverton High School, is a um, very conscientious, uh, great kid. He's learning how to drive, he's doing a good job at that. He loves basketball and all things athletics and all things Madden Mobile. Um, That's the app of choice. So if you see him down like this, he's probably just making sure he gets the points that you can get in that 10 minutes, however that works. Uh, uh, Titus. Titus is 13. He will be 14 in December. He is my, um, they're all kind, but Titus has a very kind heart. He, um, he, at school, they go to this tiny little school out in the Silverton Falls School District that has kindergarten through eighth grade. Did you just hear that? No great big huge middle school. Kindergarten through eighth grade with about 80 students. So there's about 28, 29 kids per class. And he has for years, they all do recess together. He's in eighth grade. He still gets three recesses a day. I tell you what, don't tell anybody else a secret. But if you want a school, come on out to Bradham. Uh, He plays with the little kids. And he plays so well with the little kids. He's so good with little kids. And I've had moms telling me, because he'll graduate this year, he says, I don't ever want him to leave. He's such a great kid to have here at Prattam. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he doesn't agree with that, but I'm glad you think so. He is also a funny dynamic with my kind boy. Uh, He's my warrior child. All things, knives and swords and medieval weaponry, and he loves to draw and to draw medieval weaponry. And I just keep praying that God will give Jeff and I wisdom on how to point that warrior child in the right direction, because the kingdom of God needs warriors. Maybe not with medieval swords, <laughs> um, but he's he's got a calling on his life. And then there's my Abigail. Abigail is ten; she turned ten in September. Many of you walked a journey with us when she was born. If you didn't, um, Abigail was born with several birth defects that required um, several different surgeries in the first three years of her life. And that's a story for another day and another session. Um, But I will say that we saw God faithfully answer every prayer and heal through medical ways, everything that was going on with her. And she's very healthy. She's very strong. Matter of fact, we just saw a new medical practitioner this week because we had to get in. She wants to play basketball at school. So she had to get a physical. So We popped into the doctor's office, couldn't see our regular doctor, saw one of the new people, and of course they have to review her file. And it's so funny because it's been so long. When she was little, we went to doctor's appointments all the time, and I started to get a kick out of waiting to see what they'd look like when they walk in the room. Because what would happen is they'd read her file, and they'd walk in, and you you could tell that they were expecting to see a fragile child. And Abigail has been a lot of things, but she has never been fragile. Um, Never. And... And so this happened again this week. This new medical professional walked in the room and I could just see her sizing things up and Abigail had been jumping and dancing around the room while she was waiting for her to come in and it was so clear that she started to ask some questions and and pretty soon she says, yeah, no, I can see that you're doing just fine. Um, So yeah, we are in a great place with her. Her personality, so Josiah's into basketball, Titus is into knives, Abigail is into people. It doesn't matter if it's dolls or kitchen or frisbee or soccer. or it, it, She isn't really into what she likes to do. She's into who she gets to do it with. So whatever the people around her are doing, she wants to do it with them. And she's a people person. And if she doesn't have any friends, then she needs to be with me. And uh, I have learned to really embrace, especially with, see how tall and big the kid on that side is? I am so very aware of how soon I don't get to have him with me 24-7. And so when she wants to cuddle and snuggle, she's getting the benefit of my awareness that uh, this is going to go way faster than I want. And so where I used to get kind of impatient and "Ah, I don't have time or I'm too tired, I'm like, yes, we can do that together. Yes, I will drop what I'm doing and go play Frisbee. Yes, I will learn how to knit so that we can knit together. So that's my family. I've been a pastor at Salem Alliance Church for five years now. And prior to that, I was a stay-at-home mom for 11 years. And prior to that, I was a school teacher for four years. Um, first grade, second grade, third grade, all of those variations in four years, which might have been why I quit at the end of four years, uh, at a bilingual school in Kaiser. So used to know Spanish pretty well. Uh, it can still come out if it has to, but it's very rusty. So don't test me on my grammar. Um, just thinking what else you might not know that would be interesting. Not much. It'll come out over the course of the weekend. So launching into belonging, looking at what this is, you know, our theme is our longing for belonging. And one of the things I want to talk about this weekend is that I think a lot of times when we are um, when we get that feeling that rises up in us, whether it comes as loneliness or whether it comes up as desire or whether it comes up after a, a time when we sense rejection or if it comes up when we see something new that we haven't seen before that we want to be a part of, that that longing that rises up in us, I often think that we feel alone. I'm the only one that feels this, and part of what I want to do this weekend is express that I believe it's a universal longing for belonging, and that it will look different in all of us. It'll come out in different ways. It might look like different desires, but there's something at the core of who we are that was created, first of all, for relationship with other humans and was created to be in relationship with God, and that if we don't have those things, these longings will rise up, and it doesn't make us a bad person. So I want to tell you a little bit about my story to set the stage, and then we're going to look at the um, genesis. The very, we're going to go right to the very beginning about how did God create us, and why would I say that I believe this is a universal longing. So my story on the journey of belonging is that I have always been afraid of being left out. It's still one of the bigger fears that I have to deal with. Matter of fact, I remember on road trips with my family that I couldn't sleep in the car. Because if somebody else was talking about what we were passing on the side of the road, I had to see it. I wanted to know what it was about. I didn't, ever, I didn't like the idea of missing something or feeling left out or not knowing what something was about. I always wanted to and want to be in the know. Matter of fact, sometimes at my jobs, it's, it's been one of those things where I'm like, I wish I were at the next tier of authority and responsibility so that I could know what they know. And it's not necessarily that I want the responsibility. I just want to be in the know. I don't want to be left out, right? When I was in grade school, so I went to a bunch of different schools. I think it worked out okay for me, but there was a mix between um, public and private school. I want to tell you a little bit about my journey through there because it influences where my heart landed as a teenager, as an adult, and the, the work that I've kind of needed to do to anchor my belonging in who God is rather than anchoring my belonging in others. So just trying to decide where to start. I will start in late grade school, third, fourth, fifth grade. I was at a public school in Salem, and I found, so I grew up at in church, and in church, I had this core group of friends, and and we were good friends, and I was right in the center of everything. As a matter of fact, my dad was on staff, so I was kind of a staff brat, and he had an office, and so I could go and put my papers down in there, and I felt like I was pretty cool, and there were some other girls that were staff brats with me, and some other, anyway, we just... I fit. It was the place that I belonged. It was the place that I mattered. And, and at school, there was something different going on. As a matter of fact, there was a boy who went to both my school and my church. And I remember, so my first year at this particular public school was third grade and probably November, December-ish. So, you know, you've kind of had a chance to get to know people and figure out what the pecking order is and everything. I remember overhearing this boy say, but you guys, she's cool at church. What does that mean was happening at school? Well, hindsight is a lot clearer because, thankfully, by God's grace, there are a lot of things I was oblivious to in the moment, right? But I just didn't fit in, and I didn't belong, and I was on the fringe of the group that I really wanted to be friends with, and for three years, I just kept trying to be a part of that group. And I look back now, and I'm Facebook friends with a whole bunch of my grade school friends, and I look back now, and I go, there was a whole group of girls, so nice, ready to be friends with anybody ready to be friends with me, and I never figured out to stop knocking on the closed door of who I thought was cool and just go be friends with the people who are ready to be friends, right? But I didn't figure it out, and I beat my head against the wall, and there are some pretty tender memories that I have from that season of feeling rejected and feeling not accepted and feeling like I didn't fit in and I didn't belong. I switched schools in the sixth grade and uh, went to a private school for a couple years, And the teacher that first year set us up um, alphabetically by first name. So I sat down, Jennifer, uh, behind her in front of, I think I was in front of, because my last name was Bulgin, and her last name started with a D, uh, with another Jennifer uh, right there. Well, she was new, too. And by the end of the first day, we were best friends, because uh, we both were named Jennifer, and we were sitting together, and we were both new. And I mean, this was great. I had spent three years beating my head on a closed door and all of a sudden one day and I've got a best friend. Well, within the week, she was going with the boy that my guy that I was going with were best friends. I mean, this was working out for me, people. (laughs) This was working out. So the four of us stood around together on the playground and stared at each other. For about three weeks and then her guy broke up with her oh this is so sad our foursome is broken up we're four weeks into sixth grade and we're already broken up well then my guy well he broke up with me too because he didn't know how to stand around on the playground if his friend wasn't there with the other cute girl right and then a few weeks later she came to me and said uh, Jennifer I thought you would be the person to hang out with to be cool here but I see that's not true So I'm going to go make some other friends. Well, see, it didn't really work out very well, did it? And like I said, by God's grace, there's been healing. But those things scar. And those things remain. And they stay a long time. And what it did for me was it made me believe that there was something intrinsically wrong with me that I was blind to. And if you're blind to something that's intrinsically wrong with you, then you don't know what it is you're doing wrong. And so you just have to get really good at reading other people and not putting anything out there until you figure out if it's the thing that they want to see, because you don't know what it is that you put out there that turned people off, right? And so there's this journey of figuring out how to belong by pretending to be what everybody else wants you to be, and it's only guesswork. You're just guessing at what you think everybody else wants you to be. I didn't really find that I entered into a niche that I felt and truly believed I belonged until I got into high school. And honestly, it was something that I was good at. I ended up accidentally stumbling on the fact that I was fast. I could run fast. I could beat the boys I was that fast. And so I joined the track team. And on the track team, I had a measure of success. And when you have a measure of success, you end up with friends around you who have like interests. And I ended up finding, finally finding a social circle that accepted me and that worked. And I got really, really good at not putting out the things that were not putting forth the parts of me that were turning people off and kind of starting to figure out what that was. And generally for me, what I believed about it was that I need to, I need to guard against the high emotional highs and guard against the low emotional lows and just bring a pretty put together. I'm okay. If I need you too much, I'm going to push you away, so I'm not going to need too much, and I'm just going to figure out how to just. I need to be okay for me, so that I'm okay with you, and let's just not put out too much emotionally out there. And I could not have expressed to you that that's what I was doing, but I got really, really good at it. Really good at it. There there, there was this sense that that was growing in me. Even though, you know, when I graduated from high school, I, I would have said, "Belonging? Of course I belong." confidence yeah I've got confidence I I got a whole bunch of awards and you know if our school had done the most likely to succeed or most likely to be a pastor I mean I I don't know what it would have been but but I found that place that worked and yet inside I knew that I needed people too much I felt like I had this longing to belong with people and what was wrong with me that it was insatiable What was wrong with me that it felt so strong? What was wrong with me that I needed people so much? Shouldn't I just need Jesus? By by then, I'd been a Christian. I'd been in the church my entire life. I'd been a Christ follower since I asked him into my heart when I was five or six. It was when I was in kindergarten. I had been going to youth camps and youth groups, and I had worked at a camp that was a Christian camp, and I had begun teaching the word as a counselor. I was immersed in God's word, so shouldn't I just need him? Shouldn't I just be okay? Why does my heart have this black hole aching to belong when on the surface, I finally arrived? I finally belong. All these people accept me. All these people say, yeah, Jennifer's great. But inside, see, because I knew I was pretending and what they were accepting wasn't me. I got to say that again. I knew I was pretending. So what they were accepting wasn't me. And friends, if we aren't putting out who we truly are, then no amount of acceptance and love is going to get into the place in our heart that needs to feel belonging because we're not letting our real self be seen. And it's our real self that needs to belong, not our fake self. There was a moment for me in in college. I uh, I went to Western Oregon and my freshman year I went ahead and lived on campus and was in the dorms and was involved with Campus Crusade and had a social circle that I enjoyed and and fit in and my sophomore year I chose to live at home, save some money and drive out to campus for my classes. Well then I wasn't really involved in Campus Crusade and I wasn't going on going it, a part of what was going on in the cafeteria and in the dorms and all this kind of thing, and I just found myself floundering again for the first time in probably six years for a place of belonging, and where, what's my social circle, and where do I fit, and who do I eat lunch with, and, you know, where do you sit in the lunchroom, and my folks were out of town for an extended amount of time, and, and uh, at that point in my life, my mom was often someone that I processed with when I had stuff going on, and um, in case you wonder why I point, my mom is here, so for those of you who don't know that, some of you knew that, sorry, I didn't really have anybody to process with, and so this whole thing was just kind of festering and growing in me, this, I don't know, you know, people aren't reaching out to me, and I don't know where I belong, and I'm just feeling uncomfortable, and I feel lonely, and I'm feeling left out, and so when they finally got home, I remember having a conversation with my mom and just saying, you know, and I remember in a loving and a gentle way, my mom said, you know, Jennifer, if you don't feel like others are reaching out to you, there's probably someone else there who doesn't feel like anybody's reaching out to them, What if instead of waiting for the people who you're looking to, to reach out to you, you just decided, I'm going to be a a person who reaches out to others? It's great advice. Thanks, mom. It's lasted with me for a long time. And it made all the difference in the world. Because when I went to the places that I was going with a mindset of what do I have to give rather than what do I have to get, I was able to give of my real self. I would say at that point in time, I didn't really know my real self yet, but as much of her as I understood Because my point wasn't, what can I get from you? How can I earn your approval, your love, and a sense of belonging from you? My point was, how can I give you a sense of belonging? How can I love you? How can I approve of you? How can I help you feel like you fit in here? And in doing so, I felt like I fit in there. And my journey takes some twists and turns, which include the Life Path Ministries at our church and personal counseling, and and even still, I see my counselor at times, and a lot of what I've just related to you is stuff that I've learned in the last 12 years, not stuff that I could have possibly known when I was uh, 13. So this is my journey that brings us to this weekend, and the things that I've learned over the years about how I got where I got is part of what I'd like to unpack this weekend with you, because... True belonging comes from knowing whose we are. True belonging isn't really about what does anybody else out here think of you. True belonging isn't really even about who am I. There there are some things in identity that are so important, but true belonging comes from knowing whose we are. And we belong to God. And so we want to set this stage. One of the things that we need to recognize is that um, a lot of times... We sit in our little self, and we think, but everybody else looks fine. You know, you look at the pictures on Facebook of groups of friends at the beach or wine tasting or their families on a camping trip together, and you go, well, they've got it figured out. They have a place to belong. They have friends. How come I can't have friends? Friends, rather than compare ourselves to the screen images we see of others, let's take a look at what our reality is because it really is a good reality. God really did create us for the longing he placed in us, and he actually, believe it or not, knows how to fill the longing that he created in us. So let's look at Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 starts with the really classic telling of creation that most of us are familiar with. The the seven-day creation that says, you know, on the first day he created this, and on the second day he created this. And at the end of each day it says, Then evening and morning, and that was the first day. And then evening and morning, and that was the second day. And each day, he says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. We get to the end of chapter 1 in verse 27, and it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So here God is crowning creation with the, with the, the creation of humanity, And it says, God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And that was the end of the sixth day and on the seventh day he rested. We find as we get into chapter 2 of Genesis that the same thing is now again being described just from a different perspective with some different um, emphasis. So I want to start reading to us in verse 7 of chapter 2. Says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It goes on to talk about a river that flows out. I'm skipping down to verse 15. Then the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will sure, you are sure to die. Can I just pause and say two things about this tree? The first one is, I wish I did not have the knowledge of good and evil. I wish that somehow we had been able to obey and follow God's original plan was that he would carry the weight of all the knowledge of good and evil and we would get to live the life he created us for without having to know the depths of the evil that is in this world. It is a painful and a weighty thing to bear and I so love the fact that God tried to protect us from that. That was, that was, that was his key and yet God himself put a bad choice in the garden. Have you ever thought about that? God put the tree in the garden that was a bad choice. Why did he even put it there? And you guys, I don't have a full answer to that, but let me tell you one of the things that I think. God created us to be in loving relationship with him, and yet it's not love if it's the only option. That's just obligation, that's slavery. We have to have the choice to love God in order to truly be in a loving relationship with him. And in order to have the choice to love God, we have to have the freedom to have the choice not to love God. And in our own lives and in the lives of people that we know and in the lives of the world around us, we see people every day making the choice not to love God, not to follow God, not to trust God. That's a choice that God gave. That's a choice that he gave because he wanted the choice that we make to turn to him to mean something. He didn't want robots. He wanted friends. And he calls you and I friend. And so this choice is in the garden, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it goes on in verse 18 to say, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still, there was no helper just right for him. There was no helper just right for him. And if you have ever read any of John and Stacey Eldridge or looked into this, this word helper is not like, well, it's not like the comedy routine that Tim Hawkins does that says, your little helper in the car. Have any of you heard the helper in the car? If you haven't sometime, YouTube, Tim Hawkins, helper in the car, we we cry when we, when we watch this thing, but it's this idea of this little helper, and this idea of helper is actually a word that is used for God over and over and over again. When it says God is our help, it's that kind of help that he is looking for for Adam, that he is looking for a person who can stand strong with Adam and be with Adam, not be a little helper who follows along behind and who... We've got to get our mind set on what God meant when he created woman to be a helper for man. He was creating strength and he was creating something that would be a partner, not creating something that would be a little helper along the way. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Uh, Final verse. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame, which comes into play a little later in the story. Years ago, I was working at a camp and I was, we were t- teaching Genesis that week to the kids. And when I, some of you heard me say this before, I, I got to the part about this and I was probably with a group of like eight-year-olds, right? And I said, uh, I said, what do you think Adam thought when he saw Eve for the first time? And one little boy said, hot damn. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. Probably so. So we have, the, we have the perfection of God set up, and the perfection of God set up is that there is a place, a garden with provision, the provision of food, provision of water, provision of beauty. Notice that God does things beautifully. He doesn't just, he didn't create in black and white. He was extravagant because he created us to love beauty. That's one of the gifts. He, he brought a relationship a human relationship, someone who would be a helper, somebody who would be a partner for Adam. So he created provision, he created a helper, he created relationship, he created a purpose. It tells us in chapter 1... Uh, verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So he gave them a purpose. This is the way that God created us, that longing for belonging. It's a longing to know our creator and to be in relationship. And without it, we have a void. There is a hole in our hearts. And that's why we have these moments when we feel lonely or when we feel needy or when we feel like We just got left out. It's why rejection hurts so bad. It's why betrayal hurts so bad, because God created us to be in relationship. But you and I both know, wouldn't we love just the first two chapters, and okay, end of story, aren't we good? But chapter three brings in the reality of where we live. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Okay, let's notice number one. The first thing the enemy did was twist God's words. And that is the first thing he still does with us today is twist God's words. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree of the garden? Verse two, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. First mistake, engaging with the enemy. He's a deceiver. He's been a deceiver since the beginning. Just don't get into arguments with him. It it, it doesn't ever work out well, as we're about to see. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Point number three, according to what we can see in Scripture, Eve just added something to what God said. God, at least what they recorded for us, God didn't say don't touch the tree. God said don't eat the tree. Eve says you must not eat it or even touch it. So either God said something to them that wasn't recorded or she added to what God had told them about the tree, which don't we still do that today? We kind of take God's, God's direction and, then we, and we add to it and we say, okay, but yeah, this is important too. I mean, this is what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees had the law and the prophets, but they had added hundreds of rules on top of that, which was their interpretation of how you do the things that the Bible said to do. And as you know, Jesus took a lot of issue with a lot of the extra rules that the Pharisees had given. So as we keep reading, the serpent says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the women. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God knowing both good and evil. So here's the first thing. First thing was the enemy twists God's word. The second thing was Eve took it upon herself to argue with him and it doesn't ever work out well. Third thing was, let's not add things to what God tells us. And fourth, the devil was inviting her to question God's goodness. And that's really where we get to the core of it for me. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. That's true. God knew that her eyes would be opened as soon as she ate it. And you will be like God in as much as knowing good and evil. That was true too. Knowing both good and evil. But the issue wasn't that any word that he said wasn't true. The issue was that the truth wasn't truth. The issue was that the truth led her to distrust God's heart for her, led her to distrust this God who created all things, who put this perfect plan together, who put them in this place of beauty. The serpent led her to distrust that he really had their best interests in mind. And this is where you and I bump into it too. The enemy of our soul plants seeds of doubt in our heart, The fiery darts of lies, uh, you know, at the end of Ephesians, it talks about the, the armor of God, and it says that with the shield of faith, you can extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. I often picture those fiery darts when there are thoughts in my mind that I know are lies from the devil, and I was like, he just threw a fiery dart, he launched it to see if it would land, and I need my shield of faith to say that is not who God is, that is not God's character, that is not God's heart, and it's not his heart for me. Eve didn't yet know that, didn't believe that. Whatever happened, happened. But it said the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. You know, I'm a lot like Eve. I want to be in the know. I probably would have ate it too. I wish that wasn't the truth, but it is. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. This woman who was created to be a helper and a strong partner led him away from trusting God. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt, what's the first thing they felt? Shame. Shame is perhaps one of the strongest things that keeps us from knowing a sense of belonging. because you and I all know our weakness. We know our own sin. We know what goes on inside our head. A long time ago, I heard a woman, she was preparing to be part of a panel for women's ministry, and she was nervous about it. She was just like, ah. And she said to her husband, I just don't know if I should even be on this panel. I mean, the other women that I am with, they are so much better than I am. And he said, oh no. He says, you're comparing your insides with their outsides. You're comparing their insides with your outsides. See, we look around and all we see is everybody else's outsides, but we see our insides. They felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. We feel shame at what could be exposed, and so we sew fig leaves to try to hide the things that we think we need to be ashamed of. But what we're going to find as we go through the weekend is that our identity in Christ and God's heart for us is such that he doesn't want us to stay slaves to shame. He has redeemed us from that shame, and I'm going to to get ahead, so I'm going to stop right there, but come back tomorrow morning. (laughs) Because this is where we end up. We end up then with the curses. God's going to cause hostility between uh, you and the woman. That's the snake and the woman and between her offspring, God's going to cause the man to have to work through weeds and thorns, and his toil is going to be hard, and the wife is going to, you desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So all these things that God had set in place, and then they get kicked out of the garden because of God's mercy. Have you ever thought about that? That sometimes God's discipline, what looks like punishment, is because of his mercy, because he kicked him out of the garden, that's a disciplinary action. But the reason is the tree of life is still in the garden. And if they eat of the tree of the life, it still has the powers that it had. The tree of life is the tree to live forever. That's what Jesus gives us now that we've been redeemed. But God did not want us to live forever without being redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And so he kicked us out of the garden so that in our state of knowing good and evil and being locked into that, we wouldn't then also have the power to live forever in torment. So his, his discipline was out of his mercy. But in that, where they used to walk with God in the cool of the evening in the garden, they no longer have their one-on-one relationship with Jesus, with God, the Father. They no longer have their relationship with each other, unmarred. And now they have shame. And this is where we find ourselves. And this is why I'm willing to say this is a universal longing for belonging because it's what God created in us. It's what was destroyed in the garden and it's what was restored at the cross. And so this weekend, what we're going to look at is how was it restored at the cross, and how are we living into that restoration? Because you see, based out of our desire and our need, all of us have established habits and patterns and ways that we have chosen to pursue belonging, some of them healthy, some of them not so healthy. And yet, just like in the garden, there is an enemy of our soul still lying to us. And so here's what we're going to do this weekend. Uh, several years ago, I was speaking at a women's retreat, not for Salem Alliance, and they had a prayer team that prayed before each session. And they often, I would come to that prayer time, sometimes I wouldn't be able to make it there, but they were praying for me each session. And one of those prayer times, one of the women said, Jennifer, I had a picture when I was praying for you. And the picture was that you were sneaking into the enemy's camp. And you were stealing the blueprints, the plans for attack, and that you were, you were escaping from camp and you were coming back and you were telling us what the enemy's plans were. You were exposing his tactics. And as I was preparing for this retreat, that word came back to me. And that's what I want to do this weekend. I want us to take a look at what's the lie of the enemy that we've been believing And what's the truth of God that comes against that lie? And how do we live into God's truth instead of being deceived by the lie any longer? And ask the Holy Spirit to join us in that and to bring to mind the things that you and I need to know as we process that this weekend. The psalmist says in Psalm 42, and it's a little verse on the bottom of your um, booklet, and it's also on the screen behind me, or will be. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? I believe this is one of the expressions in scripture of this longing that we're talking about. When we recognize that our longing is for God. And then another one, why we're going to talk about this this weekend. Uh, Brennan Manning, who wrote a book called Abba's Child, says this. We cannot accept love from another human being when we do not love ourselves, much less accept that God could possibly love us. So part of what we're talking about this weekend is our longing for belonging is this place where we want to accept and feel and know that other people love us. But we can't accept that, we can't feel that, we can't know that if, like my third grade and eighth grade self, we're pretending... We have our imposter out in front of us. We can't know the love because we don't love ourselves. And if we don't love ourselves, if we're filled with shame, then we're not willing to put our real stuff out there. And there might be people loving us. There might be people accepting us. There might be people giving a place of belonging to us. But we can't enter into it and receive it because we've got this blockage up. We've got a hurdle. We've got a wall. And so what, I wanna, what we want to do this weekend is talk about those walls and allow Holy Spirit to break down those walls. And your walls are probably different than mine. They might be similar. Some of them might be the same. But whatever your walls are, there's, there's most likely something that's in between your heart and God's heart. And we want to talk about that this weekend. So that's what we're going to do. One of the other things we're going to do with that is I have asked um, some specific women to be double listening this weekend, to be listening to me, to be listening to you as they have conversations around here, and to be listening to the Holy Spirit, because I don't want to be the only voice that speaks into this this weekend. And so uh, this is something new. We haven't done it this way before, and there's absolutely no pressure on it. But what I'm going to do each session is just ask those women who I've talked with ahead of time if God brought anything to mind that they'd like to share with you before we turn it back over to worship, Um, because these are women who I trust, whose spiritual maturity I trust, and sometimes as I'm talking, the Holy Spirit will bring something else into their mind. So anybody who I contacted about that have anything they want to share tonight? Okay. Come on up. (laughs) (laughs) And can we get this? Is this a good mic for us to get on, the one from right here? Or should she use Natalie's? Okay.
1: Thanks, Trina. I hate when you're sitting there and you, even before Jennifer started, I just might, even before Jennifer started, my heart was beating out of my chest. And (laughs) I just feel like tonight, as Jennifer shared about just belonging, that just a word that I've heard this week that was articulated really, very interestingly, was... If you're not going to go in the house, stay off the porch. For some of us, we're dabbling on the porch. And I think for some of us, that might be the wall, is that we need to get off the porch because what, the, what, what we would enter into the house is, is a sin that we don't want to commit. So I just want to say to us, Lord, what is, what is the porch I need to get off of? So I just want to pray that over you guys right now. Holy Spirit, I just thank you so much that you, like Jennifer said, you love us so much that you know what we're dabbling in. You know the porch that we're upon right now and that the door that's easily opened, if we would just walk through it. But Holy Spirit, right now, you're tapping on the hearts of some of us and saying, get off the porch. Right now, get off the porch. So Lord, I just pray in boldness that they would confess to you even right now. And in repentance, that they would even be able to talk to their roommates this evening about what they had to just give up this evening. So Lord, give us the boldness, give us the strength, and by your power, Lord, we believe that we will get off the porch this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.